Arizona Sports, the local sports leader, Bigly Blast. Maybe you've noticed the dueling Montes. There's Monty after a loss, looking at the free throw discrepancy and feigning disgusted NBA officials. And there's Kyle Monty, who talks about accountability and how his players need to sharpen their focus and play better defense without fouling. And judging by the results, his players clearly do not want to hear the latter. Now, I don't know about you, but I am so sick of this narrative. I am so sick of the whining and the fingers that are always pointing at NBA officials. I am sick of team broadcasts that harp incessantly on bad calls at how we're all being cheated, constantly perpetuating and reinforcing our alleged victimhood as a sports market. Can we please stop? And if this basketball team really has designs on winning a championship, they better find a way to get refs out of their heads no matter what it takes because clearly the current way isn't working. And for my money, that's on the head coach. Because soft teams do not win trophies. There's a reason why marshmallows collapse in a fire. So I would like Monty to stop the two-step and the moonwalking and blow a gasket of epic proportions. Create a scene the NBA cannot ignore and get to the bottom of the issue. If his star player really believes that Scott Foster was assigned to last night's game to assure a Lakers victory, then do something about it. Don't just whine about it afterwards because those are just hollow words, the language of losers. Alright, today's Bickley Blast brought to you by my great friends at Chapman BMW who make luxury attainable. You can find them online at ChapmanBMW.com. I mean, you guys know money. You know, you might say me and Chris, yeah, we're more vocal <laughs> and expressive how we feel, but you know, you get somebody like Kevin out of it speaks for itself. Yeah, he got an end one early in the game. And I was like, that ain't no foul. Oscar Reed was like, nah, it wasn't. You know what I mean? But that's, that's the game. You know what I mean? Every every call ain't going to be perfect for every game call. But we're just trying to find the balance. I think that's the thing. You know what I mean? Just trying to find the balance. We got to be better. You know what I mean? I don't think all of them are missed. You know what I mean? But it's, it's a little weird looking. Devin Booker and uh, Chris Paul after the game last night, a game the Suns lost to the Lakers. 122 to 111. Okay, with all due respect to Chris Paul, I'm going to call BS on that. So for Chris Paul to complain that he doesn't have any free throws with the game he's playing these days, come on. Come on. I didn't hear a complaint uh, uh, that specifically there. Okay, I, I I thought he was. I thought he referenced his zero free throws. Oh, I, I I was concentrating on the first part of it, where he you know says that Austin Reeves agreed. Hey, that's not a foul. Chris right. Paul's not. Oh, okay. Chris Paul's not going to get a of ton course. of free throws unless There's it's always moments in every game yeah. that are blown calls. Absolutely, that's that's, that's universal. I totally agree. Uh, yeah, you're right, Chris Paul. I mean, his his move to get to the free throw line now is is the rip through, and it always has been. Mm-hmm. When somebody's got uh, four t- team fouls and they're in the penalty, he's gonna he's gonna find his his pigeon if you. Will. Yep. Although he's done that less frequently this year as well. Uh, this they've, they've, all, they've also kind of stopped calling that. There have been a couple instances where he's done rip through and there yep. have been no whistles this yeah. year. Conspiracy, Ben. Oh, yeah. You just said yeah. it yourself. Yeah. It oh, just yeah. came out of his mouth. I heard it. Yeah. Done. <laughs> um, again, the Suns have been consistently outshot from the free throw line. And I think the reaction to it is is for a number of reasons. What we saw last night from Monty Williams, which was the most, um, and Ke- Kellen Olsen pointed this out, 
in one of our team's communications uh, when when he when he um, shared the sound that Dwayne Rankin had put on Twitter. The only other time Monty Williams had been that strong on officiating after a game was in the 2020-2021 season. Suns lost to go 8-8, eight and eight, and he had a kind of a similar tone. Uh, this is a buildup of a couple of games of extreme uh, marches to the free throw line by the opponents and everything, now, everything else that is plaguing the Suns right now. You're complaining about foul calls, you know, your opponents getting foul calls, but your, your own personnel, your defense has been a walking foul. I mean, most of those fouls that were called on the Suns were yeah. legit. Yeah, they need to play better defense. The um, yes, I, I agree with that. But but I, I think a, a couple of things here. First of all, again, they're they're also running out a very uh, a shell of a basketball team right now. They without are. DeAndre Ayton, without Kevin Durant, they were you weren't going to win last night's game. So 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 I think a lot of this is frustration based. Here's here's where I'm at with this thing though, Vinny. If if you're Monty Williams and you believe, and I think he does in his calm, reflective moments, that we as a basketball team we we're not going to win this game because of the way we play defense, which is lazy at times, and the way we play offense, which is mid-range or three-point. It's largely perimeter-based. You add up those together, and you look at the NBA stats, and you go, okay, the league leader in free throw shot per game, the Lakers. Surprise, surprise. It's like 26 and change. The Suns are at 21.5. So on average, the Suns are five free throws per game less than the number one shooting free throw team in the game. Five. So would would a rational person look at the way the Suns sometimes have been playing defense now that Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson are gone and look at the way they play offense and go, okay, that sounds about right. A minus five, that seems to be about a uh, an expected differentiation given the fact that we do not attack the rim and we are not physical in the paint on either side of the court. Okay, you might say that, but then you get into the moments and the games. If after last night's game, if Monty Williams really believes that he's sick of this because it keeps happening and it's not fair and my guys and we're trying to get whistles and we can't, then why does he why does he go the other route? Why on days off does he talk about it's us? Why doesn't he keep the narrative the same? Yeah, there's a post-game emotion that takes over. Fred Van Vliet, when he had his, his outburst, he admitted that the next day as he was writing a check for $30,000 okay. to the so, league. So is it all emotion? If it's all emotion, then 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 you don't have a case. If if it's really happening, then that's my point. Do something about it. Yeah, I, I, I think... You're at a fork in the road. You're exactly right. This can't continue, this constant discussion about it. Either you have to do something grand and demonstrative, or you have to just shut up completely about it. You have to put the league in a position where the league is so embarrassed by your actions that they have to address this. That's, that I mean, is I would the way argue to do it. Scott Foster's done that for years, and oh, the league apparently okay. isn't embarrassed so, by so his do, actions. Do we, do we believe that? Do we believe Scott Foster was assigned to last night's game to make sure the Lakers won? No. Okay, I don't either. I don't either. And, and and yet, a lot of people do. And this isn't just in Arizona, folks. The NBA, to me, they've got a huge issue with this. I agree. And, Luca and- last night with the of all people, <laughs> of all people, Luca's claiming you guys aren't giving us a shake, really. And and then the Fred Van Vliet thing. I just, I'm just stunned that the NBA is allowing this to continue. No, and I'm shocked at the number of people who do continue to watch the NBA pretty regularly and do believe that. Oh, it's all fixed. It's all scripted. They do, yeah. If I ever got to that point, I'd stop watching. 
Well, Jarrett wouldn't because he likes wrestling, but you and I are smart <laughs> and we and we and we don't waste I know, our time I know on for, scripted sporting events. I know you don't watch any scripted shows on TV. No. I yes, I those are those are called television shows. Yeah, those that's are what, not, wrestling is a television show. No. That's competition it, it is, is different. It is. You're right. It's a male soap opera, I've been told. <laughs> I, I'm told. Soap operas do not have genders. It's a soap Didn't... opera that many men enjoy. <laughs> yeah, Sorry like I that. offended no, you, yeah, Jared. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up, Jared! Uh, the Suns, in their last six games, have averaged 26.5 fouls per game. Uh, and opponents in that six-game stretch are hitting about 25 of 33 from the free-throw line. Those are very concerning numbers, d- despite what is happening on the other end of the court. And you mentioned DeAndre Ayton not being out there to anchor your defense, and a guy as a big who, for the most part, does a good job of staying out of foul trouble. Now, I'll make this point again. Bismack Biombo and Jock Landale are very foul-prone, both of them. Mm. And yes. what another thing that the Suns and you, and you might take issue with the way these are called, um, and it seems to be one of those one of those calls like holding in the NFL. People say you could call holding on every play. The amount of offensive fouls that the Phoenix Suns get setting screens is eye popping. <coughs> But it's been a it's been a season long yeah. issue. Yeah, it has been. Yeah, Bismack Biombo is who's pretty buttoned up defensively. He has issues with that. Uh, again, uh, it's I, I've got no real love for NBA officiating, and I see I see on a possession by possession basis ridiculous calls, and, and it's it's a very hard game to officiate. Yeah, I know that it is. So either again, either the NBA changes or the Suns change, or we all start talking about pro wrestling. <laughs> when I have a segment, ah, here, we're I'm talking, pro- or we all just start talking about pro wrestling. I just I don't understand why Adam Silver, as commissioner of this game, doesn't see what's happening and and put his foot down. Have you seen this say, guy? Have you ever seen this guy? Have Jared? you seen his foot? <laughs> <laughs> would, he crush on a, would he crush a grape if he stood on a grape? <laughs> <laughs> would he, Jared? Have you ever seen when sometimes if you go to like a uh, a grocery store, they have those dried chicken feet that are like just the skin and the bone and you could suck on them. Hmm? What? No, what What are you talking about? We got a break. <laughs> what are you, Jared's talking about sucking on feet on the radio? Yeah. <laughs> chicken feet. Wasn't that the line from the chicken John Cougar Mellencamp song? song? Sucking suck? on chicken feet Who outside of Taste of Freeze. <laughs> Jared, do you need help? <laughs> Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> Do you suck on chicken feet? I'm, I'm not against it. Only, <laughs> only when they grant consent. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, make sure the chicken's in. Coming up next, they're talking about officiating oh. in uh, Dallas as well. And we got to witness the beginning of John Morant's redemption tour. We'll get into that straight ahead. Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings. Before the game, you know, I did some meditation. Uh, basically just ease, you know, the nerves, the emotions, you know, I was feeling, um, you know, coming back. Um, it was a lot, um, but it kind of helped me. And then, you know, once I, you know, got out there on the court, um, you know, just seeing, you know, how the fans, you know, reacted to me being back. 
um, definitely, you know, helped me a lot. Um, you know, made me, you know, feel good um, inside. And, yeah, man, it was... No, um, I can't put it in words. You know, I'm kind of numb, you know, right now. But you know, thankful for everybody. It's John Moran, Memphis Grizzlies came back last night for the first time in his career. He came off the bench in his first game after the suspension, and we know about the uh, mm. the incident uh, where he was shown on social media holding a gun at a uh, gentleman's club in, in the Denver area. Served his eight game suspension, and he's back. Uh, and I gave on yesterday's show. Based on some of the things that John Morant had said, I gave him a little bit of credit. He said, "Look, I'm not, I'm not completely better. You don't go away, and, and you know this is an ongoing process." And I thought, "Wow, that's a mature stance." Mm-hmm. And then part of this discussion about John Morant and his well-being moving forward was the people that he is surrounded by. And there's been incidents with his friend group, and one of his buddies has been banned from Grizzlies games for the rest of the year for an incident that happened with another team that may have involved some intimidation. And then you wonder about this, and his first game back, Bick, you know, his dad, T, and his uncle, Uncle Phil, are sitting in the front row, and they're wearing John Morant hoodies with the word redemption on them. Redemption from what? Which means, do they have to get them printed up for the occasion? I'm sure. Because where would redemption have ever fit in the John Morant story prior to this? This is a, a if, this if is a, an to, issue of his own making. It, well, if it's if if you wanted to know how, why this happened to John Morant, I would I would throw his and again I, I I'm not trying to be flippant about this, but if a father reacts to what his son just went through with that with that kind of victimhood now you see why that issue happened in the first place no you love the support he's there to give his son but yeah then you have to ask the question like if if that's the feeling like this is this is my victory tour i did a little digging on it to Mm -hmm. see what it actually meant and you'll never guess what I found out. What'd you find out? Redemption was the name of the dancer at Shotgun Shotgun Oh, Warriors. yeah. Mystique Gentlemen. Or, Mystique Give it up for Redemption on the main stage. Redemption. <laughs> Don't forget to tip your waiters. <laughs> Everybody wants a two for one. Let me hear you say, hell yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, you knew a little more of that uh, speech than I thought of. I mean, that, was, that, no. was, that was delivered as if you had some yeah, institutional was, knowledge. No, I got a friend who... Oh, you got a friend. Okay. Yeah. Heard all about it. I have a joke writer. Heard one all thing, about one, it. Yeah. Same here. One thing about those clubs, when you look around, nothing but gentlemen. Totally. That is so true. I feel like it's well made. true. Maybe some gentle ladies, but not too many. <laughs> but John Morant is back. The Grizzlies... We've talked about the Suns needing to tread water. The Grizzlies did a fantastic job of treading water with all the controversy and all the injuries and all the things that they faced. And let's let's face it, Dylan Brooks has been a, quite a distraction as well. Mm-hmm. They're in second place. Yeah. They're still within shouting range of Denver for first place. I don't know if they're built to win it all. But, you know, if we're talking about how wide open the West is, why couldn't the Memphis Grizzlies be the team to come out if they're if they're close is, to home? I, in all my years watching basketball, and I've been a basketball dork my entire life, I don't ever recall it, it being this weird and this wide open the way it is nope. right now with teams that, like, for instance, take a look at the Warriors. We know that they're pedigreed. We know they won a championship. They may or may not get Andrew Wiggins back, who's dealing with some of the most bizarre stuff we're not going to talk about that you'll ever hear. And then you've got Gary Payton the second. And if those it was two, very important to what they did last year. If those two pieces get dropped into that team, Guess what? that team is 
Yeah. Dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you got the Clippers. May or may not have Paul George. There's people – I talked to somebody yesterday um, who said – if, if the Clippers could make a choice, we can go forward with Kawhi or Paul. They'd rather have it the way they have it now, with Kawhi healthy and Paul maybe coming back later. But still, I don't trust that team as far as I could throw them. Yeah, because they saw two years ago what a, a playoff run with Paul George without Kawhi Leonard looked yeah. like. And you've got the Nuggets, who people still won't talk about. <laughs> this is nuts. Yeah. And you've got the Suns, who are unbeaten with KD. Granted, it's 3-0. and it's still an O. What, yeah. Wouldn't it be unbelievable if KD comes back game one of the playoffs and the Suns just don't lose? And so they go, how many How many wins would that be, Vinny? That'd First be, game of the playoffs, 16 wins. 16 wins to get to the championship. They'd be 19 and 0. What's, I mean. So that, yeah. That's not that hard to realize. Not that hard. straight no. wins in the playoffs. No. Uh, the Golden State Warriors, you mentioned them. Uh, they were in a officiating controversy that they were the beneficiaries of last night. In Dallas, the weird inbounds play where Kevon Looney got an uncontested dunk turned out to be a two-point win for Golden State, so it's looming large. Mavericks and Mark Cuban are protesting. They're not going to win the protest, but here was Steve Kerr, what he thought about the play. Number one, it was my best ATO of the year. Um, it was it worked brilliantly, just the way we got organized and uh, confused them. I, I had to stop and when I saw them at the other end, I had to stop and think, wait, aren't we, isn't this our basket? Because I had drawn up a play for an out-of-bounds, you know, underneath, baseline out-of-bounds. And when they were down at the other end, I got, I had to stop and think, you know, is this right? And uh, so I, I don't know what happened. You'd have to ask their side. Uh, I thought it was pretty clear that it was our ball. And that's why I was drawing up a play, you know, out-of-bounds on the baseline. But they all lined up at the other end. I guess they assumed it was... Uh, their ball. Yeah, what I think happened is that there was a little bit of confusion, but I I believe Steve Kerr. It was pretty clear that the indications that were made, yeah. the call was never changed. Mm-hmm. And if the Mavericks were under the impression it was their ball, they had nobody to inbound it, and they had nobody to receive the inbounds pass. That's right, and and so it clearly it wasn't unanimous. They forgot where they were. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what that happened. was. That was a coach messing up and. All of his players not paying attention. Yeah, yeah, but this, but again, and this was, and that was a, a fairly instrumental game. Oh my goodness! Could you imagine if that's what keeps the Mavericks out of the playoffs? Which is highly possible it's right very now. Very possible. Yeah, yeah. That would Wouldn't be a, that be something? That'd be a beautiful thing. <laughs> I wouldn't be against it. <laughs> Legendary voice of the Suns, Al McCoy, has announced his retirement at the end of the season. We want to hear from you. Text Al to six twenty six twenty. You can submit a video, a thank you Al message. We may even play it on the air. Just text Al to six twenty six twenty. Coming up next, we will shift our focus to the NFL, the Arizona Cardinals, and their free agent strategy. We'll be joined by our own NFL analyst, Max Starks. Next, Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Thursday edition of Bickley and Murata Mornings live from the Auction Community Studios. Talking some football now with NFL analyst Max Starks, who joins us here on the Arizona Sports Line. Max, how are you, man? I'm doing good. Vince, how are you doing? Doing good. It's been, uh, obviously, a very quiet free agency period here in Arizona, maybe as expected. But I wanted to get your overall take on on the strategy uh, that you've seen from the Cardinals and their new front office headed up by Monty Austin Fort so far. Well, I, I mean, I think it, right now you have to say it's it's solid. You're still figuring out 
kind of what type of team you want, right? With Jonathan Gannon and Monty Austin Fort trying to work together to create the right culture because Gannon comes over, he brings kind of that Philly mindset, and he wants to go ahead. You see that we've signed a number of guys back to the squad that he believes are pieces that can help them this year to, to kind of bridge them until they can really get everyone they want in. You still got some cap constraints. So I think the addition of Anthony Hamilton was nice to kind of bolster that secondary area. I think it also takes, you know, what go what what the mindset is going into the draft is they're going to be able to mount some picks because that number three pick right now is absolutely red hot after Carolina trades with Chicago. And you have to think that teams are going to be beating down the door for Arizona because now everybody's worried about where the third, third quarterback's going to go. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, oh, because you know that Houston and Chicago are going to take the first two. Yeah, I, I'm curious what you think about this. As somebody that's been part of a culture that ended up in a, in a championship parade, if you were building a team from scratch in Arizona and you needed to build culture, how do you do it? What do you look for? What do you lay down? Well, I think the first thing is you look at you look at the leaders in place, right? And I mean, you, you've you've got a very precarious situation with Kyler Murray because he's injured. So even if he is in and around the building, the influence isn't as strong because he's not out there physically doing things with everybody else. Um, and the new coaching staff cannot see him move around too much. You're going to see him on the sidelines, clipboard maybe. Talking, talking to the OC, you know, talking to the guys about what they want to do, and you can't really inflect your offense and your ideals from that side. But to think defensively, you know, you look at Buda Baker, you look at the leader that he is, you look at some of the other pieces on the defense, and you say, okay, what is what is our team? Like what 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 do we have right now and where do we want to go? And I think for looking at Philly from last year, because that's all we have to go on for Jonathan Gannon, you know, this was a team they never gave up hope. Like they had ultimate belief in each other. Right? The offense believed in the defense, defense believed in offense, and they both believed in special teams. Like it was it was it was crazy to see that like up close, you know, how they never got frustrated. You know, yes, they scored a lot of points fast, but then everybody then it get to a tight game. There was no finger pointing. So I think the accountability is the first thing I think that they're going to try and build in this culture is that everybody's accountable to each other, mm-hmm. which I think is something that we didn't see the last couple of years, and you kind of saw it segmented. So I think you're going to you're going to look to see guys who can bring them together. And I think Buddha's is one of those guys I look at defensively that has that mindset, and then you know offensively you have you have veterans along that offensive line and. You know, there's a reason why you re-signed Kelvin Beecham, right? He's a leader. He's a guy who's been there 12 years in the league. He's going to be a guy you look to. DJ Humphreys, another one. And then I think from there, Zach Hurts. However that works out, Zach Hurts is also one of those linchpin guys, and he's a former Philly guy. So he kind of understands what that looks like as far as the mentality. So when you have those pieces, I think those are your cornerstone pieces as far as the leadership and trying to change the culture. Then, of course, you bring along everybody else. Now, we don't know what's going to happen with DeAndre Hopkins. Um, you know, that's 
pretty much a matter of when, whether than if. But, um, you know, that's also going to yield something, I think, as well, to help go get some more young pieces. And the more pieces this Cardinal squad can get, because there's a lot of places where they need to fill holes, and there's quality guys' depth, um, I think, later in this draft at certain positions that can really help both of that and kind of fast-track that. Max starts our guest here on the Arizona Sports Line. You mentioned Max uh, Kelvin Beecham coming back, obviously one of the leaders of this team. They bring back Will Hernandez. They bring in a couple of other guys from the outside on the offensive line and Froholt and Dennis Daly. And I want to focus on the latter there, Dennis Daly, a guy who started 15 games at tackle for the Titans. But, you know, in, in reaction to that signing, some of the scathing reviews of his performance in, in 2022, I haven't seen a lot of vitriol like that to any offensive lineman. What is your take? Because I know you, you know all these guys and you know their games. What is your take on Dennis Daly and what he can do for the Cardinals? I think for Dennis, a, cha- a, cha- a change of uh, venue is going to be best for him. Uh, he, he, you know, he kind of had a hot and cold year, um, and I think people, when they saw the signing, automatically assumed he's starting. It's like, no, 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 no. no. That's why you re-signed Kelvin Beecham. Uh, you know, you put a two-year extension on him, and you also still have DJ. So I think for Dennis Daly, I think it's more role. Uh, for him, I wouldn't. Mind. I mean, I think he's a guy that could give you quality snaps when guys get injured. He's a he's an insurance policy more than anything else. He's a guy who could come in and give you a blow, and you feel like okay, this guy's been a starter. He knows what it takes to play in a pinch. But I don't think he's coming in to be this bona fide starter right out the gate. Okay. I mean, I think that's where the vitriol came because it's like, oh my god, this is gonna be our starting right there. Oh Jesus, what are we doing? <laughs> no, 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 no. This this is. This this is depth and insurance because last year, remember how many injuries we had on the offensive line, right? <laughs> like, yes. like guys, it was a triage unit and it was a revolving door. So this is a way to bring in a veteran so that you can bolster those tackle that tackle position and you can feel comfortable that okay, there's an experienced guy coming in. We're not drafting a rookie this year and throwing him into the fire. You know, you're still going to want to draft one on the interior still, but. You know, you have an experienced guy on the edges. When you think of the NFC West and what the schedule is going to be, you need to man up those edges for whenever Kyler Murray's ready and for whoever's going to take snaps at the beginning of the year. You want to make sure those edges are more secure. So this is what Dennis Daly is. He is a backup, and he's a guy who's going to be a swing guy for you. He is not the starter, the vitriol, the arrows, the darts, the axes, or even Brick Camlin's trident. You know, you can put those away for right now. Um, he's just the backup. All right, so does Ryan Kelly do anything for you? Like you said, the Cardinals sitting there with the third overall pick. They've got a a center that apparently is going to be traded or released. Uh, Significant cap hit with him, but seems to fill a void. Does Ryan Kelly work for you? Ryan Kelly, I mean, yeah. Okay. I mean, it's okay. Gotcha. Okay. I, mean, I, th- I, I, I think that I think that's the best way. It's okay, but I, I'm not I'm not high on it. Yeah, okay. So so le- then let me let me uh, expand the question because you played this position. Clearly, they've got to rebuild the offensive line. Steve Kime tried five, six, seven different times. Never quite got it right. Even though I thought on paper he he, he assembled a couple of good looking groups. Well, what do you need? What's what's the secret sauce to building a good offensive line? 
Well, I mean, the, the secret sauce is you got to have a rock star, you know, left tackle. I think DJ is is that guy that that when healthy ha, has been that guy for you. The center position is very, very important um, in any offense, just because he is he is the eye. He's the first glance eyes for the quarterback. Right, he's the one that's going to set the set the defense. I mean, that was the reason why you went out and got Rodney Hudson. I mean, because Rodney was that guy. Like he had the mental and he had the physical. So that's a guy that you need to make sure feels comfortable and is is a guy who's smart. You need brains and brawn at that position. And then from there, you need the enforcers, right? You need the guards. Um, you know, Will Hernandez is that big physical guy. You know, I watched Will all through his college career at UTEP. He was a Sean Kugler guy. Um, you know, in college and. You know, Will just has to stay healthy. He has to stay healthy and keep his head screwed on. But, you know, I think there need, there could be an upgrade. You know, Josh Jones did a good job last year. But I just – I don't know if Josh Jones is the ultimate fit at left guard. So I would probably go after a guard-center combo in this draft in day two just to bolster that position and push some competition just so you have more depth on that interior and you could swing that guy on the inside. Because front line, I feel good. It's just when we get to the second line, I'm not really sold on it. I think that's why you went and you got Dennis Day Daily as one of those swing guys. And, of course, Froholt, you had to go get him. Um, he's inserted instantly as a starter. But, you know, that's where I think they are. I think it's a guard position that they need to go after yep. to really bolster it because I like where they're at right now at the tackles position. Yep. Uh, Max, great stuff as always. And in the course of our conversation, you uh, you gave us another great band name. Uh, I would uh, yeah. I would go see a band called Brick Tamlin's Trident. I would. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a mouthful. <laughs> Brick killed a guy with a trident. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Max. We'll we'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, boys. Max Starks uh, joining us on the Arizona Sports Line. Coming up next, uh, Max had a little bit to say about the uncertainty on the DeAndre Hopkins situation, but there are rumors floating about the availability of the Cardinals wide receiver. We'll get into that and more next. It's Bickley and Murata mornings here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Bickley and Murata Mornings. There are people who like the player, like I was saying, but I can't get a feel for how many teams really want to go all in for him. And I think that that's why there were the early calls and you're not seeing anything come to fruition right now. I I would see the Browns as a team that still clearly needs a receiver. And I think that they're probably interested to to an extent. But uh, this is going to be a slow playing uh, market, at least from what I've heard over the last few days. Jeff Howe from The Athletic on the... Colin Cowherd show, the Herd uh, National Radio show, talking about uh, early calls on DeAndre Hopkins. Nobody's pulled the trigger. It seems like there's a lot of mystery about the market or what the Cardinals could yeah. get or even interest from teams. And one of the teams that he's been connected to, and we played the sound from Diana Rossini earlier in the week, uh, she mentioned the teams that aren't interested from what she's been able to gather. But, uh, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs did not fall in on her list. That was a couple of days ago. Uh, the Chiefs just lost another wide receiver with um, Nicole Hardman going to the, the Jets. Mm-hmm. They have three wide receivers under contract for next year. 
DeAndre Hopkins would be a nice fit for a couple of reasons there. A, yeah. he's still really good. And B, they just need players at that yeah. position. Yeah, and clearly they'd be motivated. And, and I think it would be a place that DeAndre Hopkins would love to end up in. And it's oh, just my a, goodness. Oh, yeah. Listen, it, and it, it just becomes a matter now. Um, the Cardinals can't give this guy away. I just, I, I, I think there's an opportunity here. I understand the, the idea that you're a new GM. You kind of want to, you want to build your culture and you want to build what you want to build without a lot of dissenting voices in the room. I get all that. And I understand out with the old and with the new. Okay. But DeAndre Hopkins, it, it, for a guy that was a limited participant last year, he still had flashes that showed you how good he was. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm just, I'm, I, I I think the Cardinals are getting played here, is what I think. Yeah, let's go down this road, though. All right. Let's just say um, DeAndre Hopkins has played his last game for the Arizona Cardinals. Can you, looking back on his three seasons with the team, in totality, mm-hmm. is it fair to give a letter grade to it without knowing what they get in return? Like, oh. how would you rate the DeAndre Hopkins experience? For the Arizona Cardinals. That's a great question. There were certainly highlights. There were a couple of highlights that had you talking for days. I mean, the first game he played as a Cardinal, that game in Santa Clara against the 49ers, he was virtually unstoppable. Mm -hmm. You had the Buffalo catch. You had the Uh, Hale Murray. Yep. That that was the Buffalo catch. The the Hale Murray catch. Um, You had the one-handed catch against the Patriots this year, I believe, with the Patriots. I don't know who it was. It was that one. Yeah, I know yeah. the guy's the catch you're talking yeah. about. Yeah, um, they made the playoffs once during DeAndre Hopkins' time here, and he wasn't around to play in it because of injury. I don't know. I mean, for what they got him for, and I still remember that. That's a, that's a day that will live in Bickley and Murata uh, <laughs> infamy. Is just that that flood of information that came out, every little detail on the trade and how it unfolded, and it just looked like one of the biggest steals in the history of the uh, NFL. It, yeah, yeah. At the time, it was. Yeah, it, and it was, and and I think that I, I I don't think that DeAndre Hopkins let down the Cardinals in year one. I think certainly last year he did. Oh yeah, when, when when you miss six games because of a PED yeah. suspension, that's yeah. a letdown. And we still haven't heard his. His evidence, right? Yeah, was that was supposed to come in. It was supposed to come out after the yeah. season. He's gathering it. He's getting. <laughs> was his unavailability? Was that a bigger detriment to the team, whether it was through the suspension or injury? Was that a bigger detriment than to what he provided on the field? That's how you sort of have to weigh that when you're grading it. It's almost like you have to give him an incomplete grade because he had he really hurt the team by not being available whether it was through injury or well, through the suspension the the, the turning point you but can, he was great when he played you can build a real strong case for the turning point of this two year stretch when they were 10 and 2 DeAndre Hopkins they they navigated through his first injury and when he got hurt the second time things got real dicey for the Cardinals. Mm. You could say that that might have been the key, that might have been the biggest step to push this team downhill, and they never recovered from it. And then, of course, you follow it up with a six-game PED suspension to start the season. You're already in a hole that you're yeah. not getting out of. Yeah, that is true. But, you know, if is it different if DeAndre Hopkins stays healthy? If he doesn't get hurt in that regular season against the Rams, what does the end of the season look like? Because the offense was broken at that point. Well, remember, even when he played and he was really good, we still thought they weren't using him to his maximum ability. Yeah, because the the strategy was, all right, Hop, go stand over there on the left. Yeah. (laughs) 
Yeah, so, his route tree left something to be desired. I'll it, say that. Yeah, the route maps after games. I, you're like, wow. Listen, I, I think that uh, I forgot who what clip we played earlier, but I do think the bottom line with DeAndre Hopkins is it has got to be the right team at the right time in the right circumstance. Because, again, they're not practicing the veterans' days off that he kind of gives himself. Um, he's proven that he can do that, that he doesn't have to practice to be good on Sundays, but the, the, it all flows downhill, and it, it affects everything. And I, I, I think the Cardinals need to turn the page from that. I do too. But, but again, I am not giving this guy away. If all you're getting is a fourth and a fifth rounder, I'm, I'm, calling, I'm calling somebody's bluff. Is what I'm doing. But when you call somebody's bluff, you have to be prepared to absorb DeAndre Hopkins back on the team. So you do. The things that you mentioned about you know, the veterans' days off and how it affects things from the top and, you know, the lack of, of veteran leadership. Trade in, them in, in training that. camp then. Well, I mean, that's but always a possibility, too. They don't have to move quickly from from what I understand. And there might be cap repercussions, but oh, let's, sure. be, let's be honest here. They're not winning anything next year anyways. It's not an issue. They're not using the cap relief to go sign no, a superstar no, this year. No, it's not. It's, it's, really, it's really irrelevant. You heard so. it here first. Dan Bickley said they're not winning anything. Oh, and 17 next year. <laughs> <laughs> That's don't not even put mad. that out into the ether. <laughs> no, <laughs> but I agree with you. It, it certainly looks like uh, this is a rebuild and uh, experiment year for the Arizona Cardinals. Coming up next, we will hit the nine o'clock hour. Sarah Cazell will take us through some social studies at Bickley underscore Murata on Twitter. It is Bickley and Murata mornings live from the Ak Chin Community Studios here on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.